Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vezza Talks podcast. I'm your co-host, Stefan Katanik, and today I have with me my good friend, Rory Sadler. Rory Sadler is the co-founder and CEO of Trumpet, turning better buyer journeys into more revenue. Rory believes in building relationships and deepening engagement as the road to serve and grow as a business. Rory, welcome to the Vezza Talks podcast. It's great to have you here. Pleasure to be here. Thanks very much for having me on. Awesome. Anytime, man. We met at the executive dinner that Chili Pepper was hosting. I believe it was back in October, right after SAS Talk, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was it, man. We were at that. We were tasting Greek wine all night <laughs> and, and eating uh, Greek meza, the cheese and, and the cold cuts, man. It was uh, definitely a good a good night. Yeah, good, good memory there. Still not convinced by the Greek wine, but uh, yeah, I think I need to try a few more. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely up for debate, and I remember that night when 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 I saw you, I'm like, this guy's up to something. He's up to something good. You know, you had that that confidence, that aura of just like you're going places. You know, and so um, I deliberately sat right there in front of you because I wanted to understand what your story what your story was and and what you were building. You know, you had this aura of confidence and conviction of what you're building is going to be a solution to to the world. You know, but. Um, before we get into Trumpet, Rory, why don't you tell us a little bit more about, you know, who you are as, as the visionary CEO of Trumpet, what led you to create this and, and how you got to this point? Absolutely. I can start from a, from a young age. I, I owe a lot to my mum. I think, uh, most of us do in life. And, uh, I think she sort of got me excited from a, young, a very young age about like the world of business. And I, you know, I just always had this ambition to, to build something, um, to create a story and, uh, I was desperate for a job at like nine, 10, 11 years old. She was like, you're too young, you're too young. And as soon as I was able to, you know, I was in school selling sweets. I started like my own DJ company for other kids' parties. Nice. I actually put one of the school parents out of business because they, all the parents just started using me instead of him, you know, a lot cheaper. And uh, yeah, that was a very, very first uh, step into the world of venture. And um and then, yeah, continued, like had a, an events company, kind of paid my way through university. I was always working outside of education. As soon as I finished college or school or uni, I was straight into you know, work and things like that. And um, throughout that time, hospitality in particular definitely taught me how to serve and, you know, think about the customer first. I was just obsessed with tech and, you know, reading how these companies went from zero to a hundred in, you know, no time at all. It really inspired me. So uh, led me to studying entrepreneurship, if you can believe there is a subject on it, at university. Mm-hmm. And uh, that involved taking an idea from idea to MVP and pitching it to angels. Somehow, don't ask me how, I ended up with an idea in the pharmaceutical space. And uh, <laughs> I was the only student that was offered uh, investment from, from one of the angels. Very close to taking it, decided not to, mainly because I couldn't see myself being in the pharma space for the next 10 years. Um, so I kind of took a step back, reflected what was my, my kind of uh, plan of action. Um, had an opportunity to go into the world of corporate, which I decided just to take and see what it was like. I couldn't even last a year, 10 months, 10 months. And that was it for me. And, uh, and then, yeah, um, launched into the startup world and, and then fast forward, here we are. Amazing. Amazing. I, I didn't know you, you were a DJ before. I don't brag about it anymore. Yeah, back in the day, it was very easy. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of... Uh, Virtual DJ? Yeah, factor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was one of those solutions. Yeah, you, you don't do much work. It's uh, pretty much a fancy crossfading. So, uh, yeah, yeah those, sure. those days have passed. Yeah, your, your story is actually a little similar to mine as well. So I started off as a DJ and then a club promoter. And I threw different types of private events in the business-to-business networking space, but then also 
uh, different 19 plus events back in Toronto. And I did that for some time. And then I realized I'm like, you know what, I want something more. So um, I, I can see how our paths might have crossed at an earlier time as well. Um, but I mean, there's no better time than now. And and I really like what how you you basically were going along your journey, right? Studying entrepreneurship, but you had your your side hustles in the back, you know, selling the 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 candies in school and stuff like that. And and it's actually funny because most people we talk to that are our generation, they start off as a, at a very similar, um, you know, roadmap, right? So it's like early on, it's like we were listening. You're probably listening to what hip hop, rap music back in the day. And so that kind of had an influence and <laughs> you're hustling in school, selling shoes, selling candy. Uh, and then it evolves over there. So that's just an interesting to point out. And, and today, obviously you're the visionary CEO of Trumpet, you know, what is Trumpet and, and how did you come up with the idea to, to create Trumpet? Yeah, I think it's definitely worthwhile starting with the, the problem statement. So after exiting the world of corporate, thankfully I went into the world of startups and, uh, I think naturally throughout, you know, education, I, I was always the, the kind of person leading projects, presenting and things like that. So I naturally I was able to pitch to some degree. Didn't, I don't think I was amazing at it, but it was something I felt comfortable doing. So when I wanted to enter the world of startups, it was like, do I do marketing? Do I do sales? What, like, I felt kind of like most people fell into sales and I was the first sales hire at a tech startup, took them to post series A, incredible journey. Uh, learned a ton there and eventually ended up at Hotjar leading their European sales um, team nice. as well. Amazing. So six years in B2B SaaS meant I'd sold to SMB, mid-market enterprise. I'd led teams, I'd built teams, I'd tried every tool out there. But the most common thing that I'd noticed in, in that time period was being a buyer sucked. You know, I was doing these yeah. great presentations and I was super passionate about the product. I was kind of looking at the person on the other end of the call, just thinking, or even in back when we had face-to-face meetings, thinking, you know, there is such a journey ahead for these guys to get started with the solution for the risk to calculate, the competitors to go and evaluate, the stakeholders to navigate. It's like this endless process that, you know, most people aren't taught how to do. And even when you're speaking to exec level, there's still a lot of work to be done building that business case. And I started building Notion pages, Google Drive links to centralize all of this information that I was providing them with, whether it's a case study, it was a proposal, it was a demo recording. And then this was in particular a hot jar. My team just started asking me, hey, can you build one of those for me? And I was like, I can, I've only got the time to do it for the enterprise clients because they kind of warrant that time because of the, the, the ACV value. And uh, that's when the light bulb sort of happened. I just thought, why can't we create this seamless one link journey for every client, irrelevant of size, but from the earliest point of conversation through to them uh, becoming a customer and even beyond. Um, so the kind of concept of microsites had been around a while, the concept of deal rooms and sales had been around a while. I just think that they've been executed pretty badly, if I'm honest. Um, so yeah, there was validation out there and I think we just had a better idea of how to execute and go about it. Um, because yeah, salespeople uh, don't want to spend their time designing. They want to spend their time speaking to customers and that's what people exactly. try and do heavy lifting yeah. on. And, and I'll, t- I'll give you a live testimonial right now here at Vezit Digital. We use Trumpet for our other side of the business, our white label side, and, and people love it. The feedback has been, wow, you, we don't have to look at a proposal or a document or some sort of long agreements. And um, the best feedback we actually got is thank you for not making a long email thread. Yeah. Believe it or not. <laughs> you know? So say goodbye to email threads. Say goodbye to all these Google Drives and links everywhere where you have one place that's centralized for all of your different requirements for this deal, right? And we use it actually uh, pre-sales 
We use it during the sales process and then we use it for after sales as well, right? We also use Trumpet for our internal team as well. So when we're onboarding new team members, whether they're marketers, SEO specialists, designers, developers, um, they all have their different microsite that they use as a point of reference during their onboarding. And for us, it's been a really cool way to centralize everything in one spot under our brand. And basically, you know, we have we know exactly what Trumpet is for. Trumpet is for access of easy information um, for all divisions of our business, right? And so um, now what we're doing in, in Q2, Q3, we're looking at different ways how we can implement Trumpet now for specifically our internal marketing teams, right? So having meeting minutes in there, having our Q1, Q2, sorry, having our Q2, Q3 goals in there as well, having resources in there, right? And, and, and we're actually moving away from Google Drive, Google Docs um, in a way where it's organized. We're still going to use them as places to write and stuff, but we're going to centralize everything in Trumpet. And so uh, for us, it's been it's been a complete game changer. I think right after we met in London, um, a week or two after that, we signed up to Trumpet, started playing around a little bit, you know, testing things, some things out. We didn't use it right away, but after a month or so, uh, my head of biz dev, Stan, he ended up just going in there, spending a week and just like trying to figure it out. And he figured out some really cool solutions for us. And now, um, yeah, we, we use it on a daily basis. And, and, you know, for an agency, for us, um, our buyer's journey, we enhanced it, right? Because no other agency is probably using this that we're competing with. They're using like the old school method. So you gave us an edge actually like that just by using Trumpet. And so um, I, I see the the power of it because I'm actually a user of it. I understand um, your value proposition that it provides. I understand the ease and comfortability that the, that the buyer has as well during that buyer journey. And so... <clears throat> As we go, as all this tech is launching nowadays and this B2B sales, these sales tools and stuff like that, customer journey is is probably the number one focus for us as an agency. And I read this post on LinkedIn not too long ago. It was saying that B2B buyers are actually looking for a B2C buying experience. How do you feel about 100%. that? Yeah, I agree entirely. Like if you think about it, there's a certain website most people go to, you buy something, one click checkout and it arrives tomorrow. That yeah. ease of purchase, people want to see that in B2B. Obviously, it can't happen because, going back earlier, lots of stakeholders, all the complexities and onboarding, and, and you know that's just the world of tech. That's the nature of it. But anything that you can do to remove friction, to make it seamless and make it easier for your buyers to buy is what we call buyer enablement. Um, so, yeah, I think the reason that this shift is also happening is the next generation of buyers glued to their phones. <laughs> But like in a good way, you know what I mean? Like they just don't want to be on calls as much because they can find out a lot of information online. Like 77%, I think 77% of a buy, of buyer's research is done before they get on a call with sales. 77%. Yeah. yeah. Like they know what you do, who you are, who your competitors are. It's more about having that conversation of, is this a fit? And I think, you know, from that, from that point onwards, it's making it easy for them. Um, you know, trying to, to do as much of the heavy lifting as possible, micro demos, micro sites, interactive demos, like TLDRs, too long, don't read, like didn't read kind of things. Um, yeah, I just, I think the, this new, the next generation of buyers um, don't want to be dumped with lots of content, lots of information to read. It, it needs to be digestible and it needs to focus on them, not what you do on how you're going to solve a point and deliver that ROI. Right. We, as an agency, we work with 90% of our clientele are B2B SaaS companies, either from seed all the way up to series, series B and C in some cases, right? And their number one pain point when they come to us for a new marketing website is we want to consolidate. We want to make it easier to navigate. We want the, the information to be easier to access, right? 
Mm. That is the pitch. Like it, it's so we just know this when they come onto a call, we know exactly what their pain points are. Right. And so um, as an agency, our job is to always be at the cusp of innovation when it comes to um, accessing information in a way for that person to submit a demo form or a call. Right. And so um, now with, with your sales enablement platform with Trumpet, what kind of results have you seen from companies that are using Trumpet, right? Let's talk about on the sales side and maybe touch base a little bit more on the customer success and uh, post sales. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think on the quantitative side, the, the thing that we've always been obsessed with since building Trumpet was, can we help companies close more deals quicker? Um, mm -hmm. We're proving to do that. Um, you know, like one example is Payfit in six months alone, we helped them double their conversion rate in this market. That is significant, but at the same time, reduce their time to close by 20%. That means their team can work on more deals and have a healthier pipeline and also have more mm -hmm. confidence that they're going to close more commission essentially. Right. Um, but actually, so there is, there is that, there is also unlocking insight into what we call the async buyer journey. So when you're not in the room with your buyers or prospects or partners, what are they doing in the pod? You get those analytics, you get that data and that's something we're doubling yeah. down on. So there's, there's lots of value in, on the quantitative side. The qualitative side is, is almost more exciting to me though. Um, Having done sales for six years, I don't think I've ever had a buyer reach out to me and say, oh, thanks, Rory, for that sales process. That was great. I really enjoyed <laughs> it. Maybe it's because I'm not a great salesperson. Who knows? But, um, but we keep getting our customers message us and say, look what someone just replied with. You made it really easy for me. Like, thanks so mm -hmm. much. You went the extra mile. You stood out from the competition. Um, like you said earlier, like no more long emails and things like that. And those are the things that you don't usually hear in sales. So there's, there's definitely something special happening there. But what you mentioned um, about customer success is a big use case of Trumpet. And actually that handover from sales to CS is often where lots of friction happens in companies. Yeah. And actually one in four deals fall through at that point. So even when the contract's signed, they can still fall through. And it's because the handover to CS, that onboarding, that journey can be hectic. So this tool can become one link for the buyer but also one link for revenue teams from SDR to AE to CS to account management. So it becomes a, a full like kind of life cycle, workspace, hub, portal, whatever you want to call it. It just makes sense. Like it's not rocket science and one link journey makes sense for revenue teams, but also your, your prospects and customers. De definitely. And, and I mentioned to you earlier, like our SDRs use it for outreach and then our account executives are using it as well when the deal is closing and um, our account managers now after the sale is done we use it as well as, as a as a centralized place for our clients to access all of the different deliverables for that project right and for us it's been it's been a real game changer just because we centralize everything so we don't have emails we don't have um you know links getting lost we don't have to go into slack and pin things to the channel um, for us it's strictly trumpet and slack when we do the, the post sale right and the actual delivery of the project then um, we definitely see a lot of value in that and so trumpet a, as a whole right um, you're essentially creating a centralized microsite for any business use case that has to do with B2B sales, right? Now, I, I'm really curious in terms of like your product roadmap, because I'm sure you got a lot of product features. You know, I gave your product feature a couple months ago. What does that look like? Where do you want to, where do you want to take Trumpet? Is, is it going to be the ultimate centralized sales portal? Is it going to be something else? Is there things with AI you're thinking of? Like what's, what's that vision look like? Yeah, the, the never-ending roadmap. It's, uh, right. I mean, if we zoom out, because it's a microsite, it's a mini website, you can kind of do yep. anything with it. So the, the, the opportunities are, are endless. But um, as you've experienced, like fortunately, we have an incredibly engaged community of early adopters. 
and they're able to submit feedback in app. So we we can prioritize ruthlessly, but also based on what our customers want. Um, but I think to share, we haven't shared this publicly, so this is the first time it's being shared, but we've, uh, we've got a whole bunch of um, new updates coming in the next couple of weeks. So we're releasing a video widget, so you can just record a quick screen share or you know follow up um, a form widget, because quite often before a call or after a call, we need information. You know, what is your company address? When do you want to go live? How many seats do you want? And you know, being able to um, enable that digitally um, and asynchronously is, is important. Lots of people have asked for that. A, uh, a proposal and quote builder. I think um, nice. I've experienced it before, where a proposal and quote is just a flat PDF. You yeah. send it to someone, then they need to make some tweaks. You edit, you send it back, and there's just so much back and forth. I recently had with this with tool we currently use, and it was like eight email exchanges to get the proposal to the state they wanted it at. And you know, <laughs> maybe that should someone's probably listening, thinking you should have just done that in discovery and worked that yeah. out. It should have, you know, it should have been good I just to go about that. that. Yeah. Yeah, um, so we're very much thinking of the, the route of like more like an interactive experience for the buyer. Um, brilliant integrations with Gong, PandaDoc, uh, DocuSign coming out as well. So yeah, I think where we're taking Trumpet is trying to create a truly digital but interactive, interactive experience for the buyer because one, it accelerates conversations, but it's also a much better experience for the buyer. Um, right, right. You know, oh, I think my oh, headphones disconnected there. Cool. Um, yeah, you know, they're not just getting documents and having to consume them. They can actually click, comment, drag and do things, which means they feel involved in the outcome of the discussion. Um, and it's much more of a collaborative journey rather than a sales transaction, which I currently feel sales is like. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, that's like in the short term. Um, but yeah, long term, we, we want to increase collaboration with revenue teams and buyers and, and partners. Um, to move for, uh, conversations forward. Um, yeah, and, and Rory, you know what? When it comes to our own pods as Vezit Digital, we've actually bent the rules of Trump. And maybe you saw what our pods look like, but we've embedded payment payment links, we've embedded forms, we've embedded um, Panadocs as well. So we literally, like everything you're speaking of, we've done like a workaround to actually make it into a Unison website. Yeah. So I'm really happy to hear that these product, re these product features are being released really soon. It's gonna help us save a little, a lot of time. Although we already saved a ton of time and our conversions have increased due to your, your solution that you're providing and we see the value. Now, I want to talk to you about community building because I see on LinkedIn, you're crushing it, dude. You're, <laughs> you're posting, you're engaging, you're getting, you're getting the impressions, you're getting the views. Talk to me more about that. You know, is your marketing strategy, uh, you're obviously doing product-led growth, but are you also doing community-led growth? I, I think we are. I don't think it was like fully intentional. I think... Okay. If we look back at when we started, we knew that we had six months of building. We had a wait list sitting on the website and we didn't want to just sit back and do nothing, you know, like hibernation or stealth mode of a startup. We wanted okay. to be out there because we launched Trumpet and the, the reason that we've got the name Trumpet is to stand out from the crowd, to make some noise, to be bold, to be big and brave and, you know, do things differently. So for us to have then sat in darkness, building something quietly would have been pretty boring. Um, so we wanted to add value to our community and be present where they live. And as you might be familiar with, salespeople live on LinkedIn. So for us, it meant engaging there. We, I'd say like 10% of our content, maybe 20 is about Trumpet, you know, the, the, the journey and things like that and, and the product itself. The rest of the time, we're trying to share what we've learned and experienced selling software, um, onboarding clients and the highs and lows of, 
um, of tech essentially. Um, so yeah, I, d I don't think we kind of went in knowing how successful it would be. It has been incredible. We have built a community. Um, we've got lots of uh, people who continue to champion and refer trumpet left, right, center organically, which is, uh, you know, amazing for us in these early stages. Um, but for us, we just are continuing to focus on adding value. So sharing actionable insights, things that will other people will benefit from. Because I think if you become, you know, uh, kind of someone that people can lean on and, and rely on for, uh, for that kind of value add information, it instills confidence. And, you know, eventually we hope they'll then explore Trumpet. Um, it kind of goes without saying, but I don't think it's our, when we post, that's not what we're thinking of, is are they going to go and check out our page or sign up to Trumpet that day? It's just focusing on value add content. Um, but yeah, I think this new era of community-led growth is, um, is something companies should embrace. I think, you know, gated content, old school, marketing style maybe not so much uh, isn't as relevant anymore yeah we're seeing a lot of our clients now crush up community-led growth uh via slack communities right starting a slack community and then just having different people in there that are in your target market and having them talk about um, value adds right and and you have to be really selective with who you let into that community early on right you want to let in people who have some sort of activity on linkedin um, people who have a following as well, people who can actually champion your your product, um, you know, to that next level. And and we've seen a lot of companies do this in really unique ways. For example, um, offering that service for free um, as long as they're promoting it and 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 doing something that's gonna you know get more users on board, right? Using micro influencers in different segments of this market that we're in, and and having them actually promote that product directly, indirectly, through conversations, through their website, LinkedIn posts, all that. And so um, I know that's been a really, it, it's hard to measure the the return on that, but mm. you know, there's no powerful marketing out there than word of mouth, right? You and me talking about the next big thing that's gonna happen. And, and so, um, yeah, we've seen companies now crush it with that, you know? So uh, Slack communities and being selective who you let in there is really a, a good approach to start with. 100%. I think a company that executes that brilliantly is Pocus. You know, Product-led sales is, the, yeah, is yeah. their big focus. They've got a, a, a 10 out of 10 community on Slack that keeps growing. We we have evaluated many times, do we make that that step mm -hmm. and that bet? Um, for us, it's you know it's a lot of investment of time because you know, you're, sure. I think with that type of community approach, you've got to be thinking of everything but your company. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're educating on the space, on other thought leaders and things like that. Your product comes second every time. Um, and I think for us, yeah, we we decided to focus on being present where um, our, our community lives. And then, you know, there's already brilliant Slack communities out there. I think we didn't really want to necessarily compete um, or spread ourselves too thin in the early days. Not to say we won't do eventually, but um, yeah, I, I think yeah. from the outside, it seems like, oh, you just make a Slack channel and start inviting people, but a lot of hard work goes into those. So I'd recommend For joining sure. communities like the one that Pokes has built and and seeing how they do it. Rev Genius is another brilliant example um, and seeing the amount of hard work that goes into building those because, yeah, it's uh, it's not by accident. Definitely. And how do you feel about, you know, putting out content? So you do content on LinkedIn, obviously. Do you use any other channels, Twitter? Are you putting content out on Instagram, TikTok? Are you doing these sort of podcasts as well outside of, I mean, this one here? Yeah. Um, we love podcasts. <laughs> so yeah, big thanks again for having me on. Um, we've started 
going fairly deep into the world of TikTok, which is an interesting one. Um, and yeah, we're big believers in video. And so I think redistributing that content as, elsewhere will be important for us. Also Twitter, um, there's a lot of B2B. Twitter's huge. Yeah, yeah, pretty big. Uh, I think maybe why Elon uh, bought it. And, yeah. uh, and then I think those are the main ones for us right now. Um, again, in the early days, it's, it's definitely a case of not spreading yourself too thin and doubling down on the channels that do work. And for us, those are the, those are the core. Yeah, got you. How how big is your team, Rory? We are seventeen. Seventeen people. Yeah. Wow, impressive. Good stuff. And and so, is the team mostly product centric, sales, customer success? What does it look like? I'd say it's like seventy thirty product commercial. Yeah. Oh, nice. So, because of the nature of the product and mm -hmm. what we're building and the potential of it, yeah, we will always be big on product and there, there is a self-serve, easy to use element to Trumpet. So mm -hmm. we don't need a heavy commercial team. Um, that might change as we grow and scale and continue working with large and large businesses across the globe. Um, but for now, over one and a half thousand companies using the product team of 17 that have enabled that pretty proud of what the team have done. Yeah, that's amazing. And and you think you think that, you know, a team your size is almost too small for the amount of clients that you've that you operate with and work with. But uh, to me, it sounds like because 70% is on the product side that you're just innovating that product, making it as easy as possible for people to use, right? Yeah, that's always our focus. And, you know, we, we look back at what we released initially, and, yeah. you know, super embarrassed by it because it didn't have all the bells and whistles. It's nowhere near as good as it was today, but that's like, we should be embarrassed by it. Like, and we'll continue, I want to be embarrassed by what it looked like a month ago. Like we have to keep pushing right. forward. Um, right. But uh, the ease of use is super important. Like, and I learned that from Hotjar. Um, Hotjar, when I joined, was like a team of 150-ish, million websites using it. Mm -hmm. A million websites and a team of 150 people. Wow. The fact they were able to do that, and they didn't have like, you know, intercom for chat and everything like that. They just had a brilliant, self-serve knowledge base articles case studies uh everything you would need to take hot jar and go and even the product itself product tours you know everything like that just made it really really easy to use and for something that is quite a technical product it's website analytics it's heat maps and then you know there's a bit of code involved but they just made you feel like an expert at it and um, so lots of inspiration on that front and i don't think plg like you know the self-serve uh, flow is an overnight achievement i think it takes years to get to the level of like you know the figmas and the miros and even notion um who continue onboarding thousands of people every single day um seamlessly so we take a lot of inspiration from tools out there um to see how they do it because fortunately they spent a lot on all the research and UX and UI designers. Um, so we've still got a long way to go, but um, I think we're, we're definitely in a good position. Definitely. I, you know, you're, you're really inspiring me now to, to think at that level, you know, although my services here at Vez Digital is a service-based business, we don't necessarily have our own products, but you're explaining everything to me and you're articulating all the different um, parts of the business that you're out that you're continuing to optimize you know and so i'm sure you've you've heard of that old adage how you do one thing is how you do everything mm. what do you do outside of work to be to to keep this straight and, and keep growing trumpet <laughs> what keeps you sane, um, basically what keeps you saying being, being a ceo is not an easy job yeah um good food i'm a massive foodie 
you know, nice. wh- whether it's home cooked or eating out and uh, I don't eat out too much these days. I'm, I'm a big fan of like a good home, home cooked meal in summer. Mm-hmm. I'm like the barbecue guy. You always see me on the grill. That's my go-to. Um, but outside of that, it's football. I, I don't love the sport too much anymore. I think it's, uh, I'm falling out of love with the sport, but I love playing football. I am a headless chicken on a football pitch. I've no skill about me at all, but there is something about like running, chasing a ball and just forgetting about everything, uh, you mm-hmm. know, for 19 minutes. Um, it's definitely a big stress relief for me. So yeah, just uh, football and food. I sound really boring there, but those those are the two that keep me sane. I've also actually, actually, I'll caveat that with, I've got a Cocker Spaniel, a dog called Rue, um, who I love. And yeah, going on walks with her and, and my fiance is uh, definitely a good way to kind of um, gather thoughts, you know, take a break from work and things like that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's the simple stuff. It's simple stuff, man. I like that. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it sounds simple. You know, you start off as a DJ, events, now to, you know, wa- wa- walking your dog with your fiance and gathering your thoughts. You know, it's, it's quite the journey you've been through, man. And so, you know, um, when it comes to getting creativity to build Trumpet, you know, do you get that creativity from your team? Do you get it from doing these walks with your fiance and your and your dog? Like, how, how does that creativity come to you? Like, what do you what do you do to to know what you're going to do next? I don't think there's a single source. I think, you know, those things definitely help. But at the same time, um, always reading, love a good book. Always reading. Um, always, yeah. And podcasts, um, always gotcha. listening to podcasts or, you know, people that have been there and done it and have the battle scars. There's insights mm-hmm. that you would never hear, you know, unless you were able to get in a room with them, but you can't because they're, you know, CRO at some uh, billion dollar unicorn. So being able to hear 20 minutes of their insights on a podcast is invaluable. Um, at the same time, we do have a brilliant um, customer base, um, both on free and on paid, who continue to proactively give us feedback. Um, so that always motivates us in terms of the next step with Trumpet and what we're, what we're building. Um, and then just looking at companies out there that have been there and done it, I think you can take a lot of inspiration from them. Um, and that's without even going into the world of AI and, and all that jazz, the, the talk of the town. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any, any ambitions to get into the AI space with Trumpet? We, we definitely do. And actually it was always the plan from day one. Um, we had this vision to help people build beautiful buyer journeys. And when I say help, it's, we will start to guide them on what good looks like. You're using, you're creating a pod for, you know, uh, an onboarding journey. We recommend using this, this, and this widget for um, organizing the pod in this way. So I think actionable insights based on what we, we're seeing work in the platform is kind of our own unique data. I think that's much more valuable than just plugging into a chat GPT and you know summarizing your cool follow-up notes. There's value in that, but I don't think it's um, as unique as what we have planned. Um, and we have much bigger plans than, than what I've just mentioned, but I don't think you can ignore it either. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of companies now um, either dabble with AI, use it to some degree in their business. I know for us, what's working for us right now is we're actually using AI for our own internal processes and trying to streamline a few different things with our own you know, tech that we're white labeling now from another AI company to see how we can give a better customer experience post sales. Um, mm. More within, you know, Slack automations and when people are asking questions in Slack Connect, how we can pull that information. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's AI. It's more or less a chat bot 
um, that can pull information from our website and from our different project management tools that we use when clients are asking, for example, you know, what's a good SEO strategy for me to use on this blog, right? And then instead of our account managers going to answering that, our SEO specialist, we have a database of information of FAQs around that, that is pulling that into the Slack channel and providing that to, to our clients. So we're still early on where we have an R&D department here of, of, of three proud people that are that are growing this new initiative out. And so um, I know for us, we're just trying to see what's going to be more efficiency and what's going to give more value to our clients uh, post sales in terms of like, you know, the the rapid use of information because people want information relatively quickly. Did you say in the beginning it was 77% of people gather information before hopping on a call? Yeah, that's powerful. I, I had no idea, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. That's... On top of that, a of a, the buyer journey, they'll spend 17% with vendors and they're typically mm-hmm. looking at three. So that means roughly five, 6% of their entire journey is spent with you. It's nothing, mm-hmm. it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And when you're spending time with them, you're thinking, oh, you know, there's lots of time with them and, you know, they're just looking at us. It's not the case. Um, sure. But yeah, going back to you, what you just mentioned on AI, I think that's definitely the, the approach to take is looking at your business, not looking at what's out there and all these cool new tools that are popping up. I think it's very easy to get overwhelmed and then become indecisive. Mm-hmm. I think it's starting with where are there inefficiencies in our company? Where can we then address that and improve, again, our end customer, the, the, the buyer journey? So I think it's definitely the right approach to take. These stats you just you just dropped on me, you just dropped some really good bombs. You know, like 77% are already looking for information before hopping on a call and then they're evaluating two to three different vendors at the same time i know for us we're we're constantly competing about with Mm -hmm. different agencies in terms of services right and and for the in the agency space you know um one thing i noticed especially now during these times in the united states specifically it's been a race to the bottom in terms of like you know reducing the aov up front but increasing the ltv on the back end, right? Whereas mm-hmm. last year to up to two years ago, it was a high AOV and a much lower LTV, right? So now we're, I'm seeing a big shift happen where there's an equilibrium of balance, right? And people are subscribing to marketing services um, based on a, on a monthly retainer, plus maybe some percentage of the marketing spend that's happening that given month, right? And so that's the trend that I'm seeing now um, in the agency space. Now, let's say, let's say Vesa Digital didn't use Trumpet, right? What would be the number one use case for us? How can we use Trumpet as an agency um, just you know, during the sales process, not post-sales? And what are some best practices? Yeah, the, the quick elevator pitch, essentially. Um, I'd recommend using Trumpet from outreach to onboarding and beyond by creating a, a one-link microsite, we call them pods, um, because they're automatically branded and personalized, so delivering a much more engaging experience for your prospect. Um, and your you're then able to equip your champion with everything they need in one space. So when you're not in the room with them, they go and speak to their other stakeholders, their CFO, their marketing director, you know, um, maybe they're working with an SEO agency, whoever it might be to, to get feedback. It's easy. They're not having to sift through lots of emails and attachments and links and watch a recording. It's everything in one space. Um, yeah, just recommend, uh, <laughs> using it uh, from uh, from that perspective, but uh, see, easy as that. Excellent. Rory, usually what we like to do at the, during the end of the Vesa Talks podcast is I have one question for you. So what's one question that you would ask yourself that I haven't asked you? Ooh, that is a hard one. 
Um, With the amount of knowledge you have, man, I'm I'm pretty sure it's uh, it can be the easy <laughs> one. Uh, I'm trying to think. What's one piece of advice I'd give to other founders listening? There's one. Cool. I like that. And I've got to answer it. <laughs> yeah, you got to answer it. Cool. What is one piece of advice? Yeah. Okay. I hadn't thought that far. I just thought of the question. Um, I think be vulnerable. So vulnerability is often uh, misinterpreted as a weakness. Um, I actually think it's a strength. The reason being is there is no way in hell in the early days, especially that you can know everything. And I think being transparent, honest, and admitting, you know, failures or when you're not sure of something, it actually does install confidence in people and they're like, you're human. That's it with your team, with your customers and things like that. Um, but being vulnerable also means asking for help. Um, you know, it's it can be a incredibly stressful, at times lonely journey, which, you know, your friends, family don't fully understand. And I think being able to ask your advisors or investors for help, um, goes a long way um i think yeah when you try to silo yourself and think that you can do everything you burn out um so yeah i think embrace vulnerability embracing vulnerability you know that's that's actually really really now as you're saying that it resonates with me because obviously we we both been in vulnerable positions before but how much do you want to show you know it's like hey how vulnerable do i want to be you know and i've been in situations personally where i just completely hit it Right, thinking that it would actually be okay if I put a, a facade in front that that showed strength, confidence, and 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 um, and self assurance to myself that we would get over this challenge or issue, right? But then um, I feel that that would put unnecessary pressure on myself, mm-hmm. and then maybe we wouldn't perform as a team to the level we'd like to, right? So I, I really like that piece of advice. And and do you have like any examples of that? Maybe recently how how it applied to you and at Trumpet and. Um, how you basically were vulnerable in a situation and you overcame it? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe it was around the product hunt, not knowing how it's going to perform. Something of that nature. Yeah. To be fair, the product hunt's an interesting one because sales tools don't really live on product hunt. It's, you know, your RICP isn't there, but there are lots of investors and, and, uh, and founders on there. Um, and it's a lot of build up for something 24 hours of like, you've got to go for it. And it was a very competitive day for us. Um, but actually we lent heavily on our network, friends, family, investors, advisors, customers, early adopters, churn customers. And I was spending all day on LinkedIn messaging other founders being like founder to founder, you know, yep. this is like a big moment for us. You know, I, I know you've probably a lot of them I'd seen, you know, you've gone and done it and you had great success in which product time. It's a big moment for us. Like we'd love you to, to support us. And, uh, actually the support from that community of other founders, I was like blown away with. And even to this day, some message them months ago. And to this day, it's like, Oh, sorry, I've just seen this. <laughs> how, about, <laughs> how about voted? I know it's too late, but like love what we're building. We should connect and chat sometime like cool. and things like that. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, it, just yeah, asking for help and, and you know, uh, pushing yourself out there. The world of LinkedIn is great for that as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm always a big believer in supporting my network. I remember when your product hunt came out, it was the first thing that I saw on LinkedIn that morning. I'm like, you know what? Let me go 
hit up Rory on, on Product Hunt because I knew it was like probably you, the commercial team, the rest of the product team was keeping tabs on it all day long, you know? So I was like, I was sure to go on, like, comment, upvote, subscribe, reply to the comment from your team hitting me up again. Um, no, so that, that was really good. And I, I think the, the number one thing people in your network can do for you is just like and comment on your LinkedIn posts, you know, get that, get that collaboration, get that community building, you know, and, and get that attention back onto your brand and what you're doing. But then you also reciprocate, you, you, you return it back. And I think it's, it doesn't cost us anything to go like and, and comment on something, you know, if anything, you're giving value directly, but also very indirectly to other people that are probably watching that post that comes up in their feed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it really doesn't take much and, you know, we're all happy to do it for each other. We all know why we're doing it. And, um, the power of reach on social media is is amazing. We yeah. the amount of times we have demos and someone says, "How can I ignore Trumpet? I've seen it everywhere. I've been recommended it and things like that." But that's that's not us like forcing it down people's throats. It's just it's kind of natural. It's like a compound yeah. effect. And actually, sure. I think with social media, the the key thing is consistency. We mm -hmm. we get companies and founders ask us about our strategy. We don't have strategy. My strategy is every single day when I come into the office, I put 15 minutes aside and I write a post. Some days I'm full of inspiration and I put loads of effort in and there yeah. are, there's tumbleweed. It's like a, nothing happens. I'm like, I just mm -hmm. put loads of effort into that. Why is that post not doing well? I just don't read into it anymore because you can't read the algorithm. It doesn't matter if it does well or not. It's a compounding effect. Consistency showing up is the thing that will pay off. Lovely. Love that. Love that. Rory, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time and telling you more about yourself and Trumpet and what you're building. Um, you know, if there's anything that you want to say to the crowd now, now's your chance. If not, then we're going to be posting this in the next couple of weeks and we're going to basically, you know, make this into a really big hit in terms of just hitting this up to our sales and B2B community. Awesome. Um, all good on my front. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks again for having me. And, uh, and yeah, looking forward to staying in touch.